Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, anyone stupid enough to make predictions for the year ahead last year is unlikely to have done a good job for this year. Uh, Or maybe some of what has been said was correct, despite all the uncertainty. So stay tuned for that. But what about 2021? We know the virus is still going to be with us. But what else will happen in the global economy today? As we say, good riddance to 2020. Let's take a look at Steve Keen's predictions for 2021. That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. So, Steve, you have given me your list of uh, your predictions of what's going to happen in 2021, just a few days away now, because uh, we did this a year ago. Uh, rather remiss of you, you failed to mention that uh, the world <laughs> would see uh, a near economic collapse because there would be a, a virus, a pandemic that would spread to every Damn, corner of I the planet. It. You missed that out. Uh, yeah. But look, let me, I listened back to last year's podcast, and you know what? Apart from that, you went far off. Uh, you used the term uh, a capitalist economy on government life support. That is Did pre- I? Yeah, that is pretty much where we've been this year, isn't it? Um, wow. Well, I've I, I, been me, talking about QE, wasn't I? Or yeah, you were. We? Yeah. And okay. I, of okay. which we've seen a great deal, of course. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you know more, more, than, than, yeah. more than we would have imagined. Uh, you also said... Uh, are we heading for a recession? We said no on that. Secular stagnation, uh, lower population growth. Credit uh, stagnation, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, and per capita growth slowing as well, you said. But the, the finance sector is not going to do well with share prices rising. You're right on that. Um, Donald Trump, wrong on that. You said he's pop, pop, probably going to win again. Uh, he, his he would, stan- I think he would have won again except for COVID, He frankly. probably would. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, his stance on breaking supply chains to encourage uh, domestic production, you said, will partially work. Well, too early to make a call on that, isn't it? Uh, you said uh, banks will take on risky assets again. So we could see some uh, bankruptcy in banks, particularly German banks. Uh, so w- we might not see a recession necessarily, but we could see a, f- a financial crisis until central banks step in. Well, of course, central banks have stepped in. Um, so, uh, no, I mean, it may, may have saved the banks, in fact, mightn't it, this year, uh, COVID-19, because we were seeing, uh, you know, German banks and Italian banks in trouble. Um, now, you know, massive quantitative easing and p- pushes in liquidity has probably helped that situation, hasn't it? I think so. I mean, the, the last thing you want to have is a banking collapse in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So, Wasn't I mean, allowed. we don't know what yeah. – I mean, there's, there's plenty of stuff that goes on inside central banks on a daily basis. They're looking at the viability of different uh, banks. And, you know, in America in particular, they tend to, re- they tend to shut banks down, which have failed on a Friday, uh, and move the deposits across to another bank. Uh, by the re- the rescue schemes they have uh, by the by the Monday, and you don't even know what's happened. I mean, it doesn't end up in the news. It's a, it's a regular thing that banks fail in the states, and their their deposits are moved elsewhere. 
um, without the depositors losing their money. Uh, now, the last thing, you, of course, you have a big failure, like we used to get back in the, in, in, during the financial crisis itself. That's the last thing you need. Mm. I mean, I mean you know, if people are queuing up now for COVID, for COVID tests. You don't want them queuing up to get their money out of a failing bank. No. So I'm, I'm sure there's been, and there are plenty of banks in a very bad way uh, during this crisis. So the central banks are probably doing a large amount of rescue work, which we're not even hearing about. So another thing you said was uh, Brexit, the impact on supply. Do you remember how we used to talk about Brexit before we talked about oh, yeah. COVID? Mm, uh, mm. The impact on supply chains, you said it, it could devalue the pound, which has been overinflated by the finance sector anyway. And, and Boris might surprise us with an industrial policy that would see an investment in manufacturing. Well, yeah. Uh, Boris, mm. would, Boris would surprise me if he came out with anything yeah, really mm, novel. Mm. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, but we'll, we'll maybe talk about Brexit a little later on. We're certainly going to talk about, uh, in your predictions for this year, house prices. You said they were going to be pumped up higher by more credit. Well, guess what? I mean, look at Australia, for example, and uh, house prices have continued to rise. But we'll, we'll talk about that. And you also said uh, one of your predictions for this year was persistent deflation. Mm. Right, right on that, too, really. So you see what I mean? You weren't far out, were you? Oh, my God. I was, I was just being to get canned. I mean, if anything, well, <laughs> was it good or bad? <laughs> because, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but fundamentally, I mean, in one, in one sense, what I was focusing on are the causal factors and – uh, like I, I have to say that I underestimated the scale of government response to the financial crisis, not so much in what they did for the physical economy, but how much they went to rescue the parasites, as, as Michael Hudson puts it, enormous amount of money to keep the financial sector afloat. And that's going right back to the beginning of QE. Uh, that has just continued inflating the asset markets. And, and the, the pack with the devil that that was meant the banks have kept on doing it. And of course, when COVID hits, they get it even more. So we get with mm. this new term of a K-shaped recovery. Asset markets up and real economy down. Yeah. Well, look, you've got five predictions for this year. Uh, the, the recession in the aftermath of COVID, the housing bubble, uh, growth in China, uh, a, a fall in coal mining and more severe weather. So I've given the game away now, but we've, we can. Uh-huh. Uh, well, well, let's work through all of those. Let's start okay. with this this recession uh, in the aftermath of the COVID crisis. Uh, what shape is that going to take? And is that going to be everywhere? Is it even going to be in Australia, for example? Well, I think the part of what we're going to do, we're going to see a government-induced recession to some extent because of the stuff we spoke about last week, which is where people, where, where governments believe that they have a problem with their own own government debt, and any and which, which and which you now with countries which are close to a trade balance or a trade surplus, uh, plus having. Um, uh, their own currency, they're not going to be in trouble at all, but they're, they're, their behaviour could be that they then put austerity in at a time when we need more stimulus. So I'm expecting government to make it the wrong sort of contribution to spending, particularly in Europe. We have this obsession with getting back to the Maastricht Treaty levels of you know 60% of mm. uh, government debt and 3% or, or lower deficits. And, of course, remember before COVID hit, they were starting to punish Spain and Italy for running excessive deficits, and France was even getting in there. So if we get the, the rise of the, 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 the return to power of the ECB bureaucrats and the European Union bureaucrats, then there could be a, a slowdown in government spending caused by the rules of the Maastricht Treaty being enforced when they shouldn't be. Well, I think so they're over 100% now, aren't they? They've got a hell of a long way to go. 
Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's making a laughing stock at the 60% level. Yeah. Well, even in the UK, where supposedly they're free of that sort of thing, Rishi Sunak uh, in October at the Tory party conference said there was no easy cost-free answer, there were going to be hard choices everywhere, that the, the government had a duty to leave public finances strong. You'll love this quote. He said, if instead we argue there's no limit on what we can spend, that we can simply borrow our way out of any hole, what is the point in us? Talking about uh, the government. <laughs> it's a good question. We got an answer for Rishi. The, 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 <laughs> the point is to create that money. This is the bizarre thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, 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 and that's one reason. I mean, I, you know, in terms of reading the deficit myth, there wasn't a great deal that was surprising to me. The one thing I think of knowledge I got wrong was the deficits themselves create money directly. Mm. But the basic logic coming out of it is the government with its own currency, uh, and this is where I differ with MMT, where it's got a, either a reasonable or a strong current account, uh, a small deficit or a reasonable surplus, it's insulated, it can do what it damn well likes in terms of money creation, and it can finance itself. And of course, what, what you Japan's got well, the central bank in Japan owns more than half the government debt, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, well, you know? way more, about seventy percent, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, it, and the government debt is, is gone from about forty percent when they had their bubble economy burst back in nineteen ninety to what two hundred and fifty percent. You know, I mean, you know, bring out the violins. Of, of course, Japan is suffering. Not. Mm. Uh, it's it's all an illusory worry. But if you have you know if financial morons. Uh, financial ministers, pardon me, uh, making a decision like that bloke in the UK is talking about, then they're going to cause a downturn when it's not necessary. Yeah, that bloke being the Chancellor, the man who's supposedly holding the, the purse strings in the UK. So, uh, yeah, I wonder whether it's going to happen. Is it going to happen in the United States as well? They don't seem to worry too much about debt over there. Not as much, but of course the, the Republicans will turn from being free, free willing with Trump to uh, deficit hawks with Biden. Mm. So we're going to see all that sort of nonsense coming out as well. And the, 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 you know, it, 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 it comes down in some ways to what happens in Georgia, because of that, the vote, I mean, which we'll know, we, we, we've probably given up we're recording this before the Georgia vote takes place. Mm. But uh, if, if you get a Democrat majority or if you're 50 50 in the Senate, then those deficit uh, ceilings can be moved. But, yeah, I, I think America is going to have a serious problem with a wave of evictions, uh, both of renters and mortgagees who can't pay their mortgage anymore uh, once all the financial supports from COVID are, are pulled out. And then in that, in that situation, uh, you're going to get the government doing some spending. But again, it's most likely to support the parasite rather than supporting the host. But if they go down that road, because the numbers are so huge, I mean, this could uh, that approach, I mean, we could be stuck in it for a decade, couldn't we? I mean, Japan's been stuck in it for four decades. Yeah. Three, pardon me. But we're starting the fourth decade this uh, next year. So it, it, they can be stuck in this indefinitely. The problem is they haven't tried to reduce the level of private debt, which is what's actually the real, the, you know, the, that's, that's the elephant that's sitting on the chest of the economy. And uh, Japan is, it, it's taken Japan 30 years of government deficits to reduce the level of private debt by 50% of GDP from 225% to about 175%. And they, you know, they, they, you could do it in a jubilee approach, uh, or the, the sort of spending that happened uh, in government spending during the, the Second World War and the Great Depression. You could reduce it much more rapidly and get the burden out of the way, but we're, we're, st we're still stuck with it. And, you know, that's mm. my usual whinge. <laughs> All right. All right. Your usual whinge number two 
Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the housing bubble. It's going to continue. Mm. You say, would I mean, curious, isn't it? How during the COVID crisis in Australia. And the housing bubble continued. Annual growth in Australia, 6.2%. It is where it was in the middle of the year. 6.2% annual growth. Canada, um, uh, you know, you reckon that might change because of uh, of immigration. But Canada and Australia have both been seeing massive housing bubbles and uh, yet, yet to burst. Will they ever burst? Um, I, th- I, th- I think they're going to they'll, they'll survive until the economy falls away beneath them, courtesy of climate change. Right. That's that's my. I mean, I've, I've given up on. I mean, and the, I know the basic dynamics, which are that what, what causes rising house prices is rising household credit, and household credit is the change in annual in in in, in the annual change in mortgage debt. Um, so when I'm looking at uh, house change in household credit, that's change in the change level of household debt. That's acceleration of debt that can't go on forever. Uh, but what governments have done have been so afraid of of housing prices falling over and wiping out their political constituents that they've continued dropping interest rates, uh, finding ways to encourage people into more household debt. And that's kept debt accelerating uh, for 10, 15 years after it should have gone negative. And now when you've got uh, support of you know, QE bleeds into share, goes directly into share prices and then bleeds into house prices, uh, all these sorts of effects have kept that house credit, household credit rising, household debt accelerating far faster when it should have should have been done. So I think you reach a point where there's just you you reach like a Denmark level. I mean, the country that had the highest level of household debt to GDP ever was Denmark. I think it was about 140 percent of GDP, and it's been falling from that point on, despite uh, more you know, government supports, despite negative interest rates and some mortgages of all things in Denmark. So I see us reaching that point. So and that, then have house prices is, been falling as well then, along, along with that falling You know, I debt? haven't actually checked. You want, you want to put us on pause for a second? I'll check and see Denmark house prices. And there we are. Do you know, that was uh, in the olden days. That, that was the cut just there, by the way. In the olden days, I would have had to have uh, got a razor blade and some sticky tape to do, uh, <laughs> to do an edit like that. I'm that. Yes, I'm that old. There'll be young people going, oh, what the hell is he talking about? What a sticky you know? tape. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the olden days, when you used to have a, a you, put, you t- take the open reel tape out and cut it on the editing block, cut it where you wanted, and uh, then you get a little splice bit of sticky, it splice it together. Yep. Yeah, mm. the I'm old day with the days. Now, so mm. the, but the answer is to the question: um, House prices are still rising in Denmark, even though debt is decreasing. Why is that? How how can that well, happen? This this is because and this is one of the little paradoxes of of acceleration. I think humans are very good at understanding distance. Oh God, it's thirty kilometres. I've got to you know got to drive from X to Y. Uh, I'm going to get there at uh, you know, 20, sixty kilometres. It's going to take me half an hour. All very straightforward. But when it comes to acceleration, that's change in the change in distance. It's change in your velocity, uh, which you'd think would be straightforward. You can actually be accelerating while slowing down. Okay. Right. And that's what's actually going on here. I'm taking a look at the uh, uh, level. Again, pardon me, yet, yet another splice, because I just want to be able to do, this is a useful <laughs> thing to be able to talk about with our, our supporters. So I'm just going to have to put one more chart that I've done here. So give me another uh, one minute. No, we can, we, can probably, we can probably keep going for that. Can can you talk and look at the same time? Oh, no, I've got to, I've got to type yeah, and look oh, at okay. the same Another time. edit coming up. Here it is. <laughs> okay. Okay, hang on a second. Okay, I'll yep. have a look at this. And welcome back. Uh, I know you've not been anywhere, but we have. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so so what's the story then? So we've got 
uh, we've got uh, falling household debt of, of falling, uh, yeah, falling, yeah, let me start all that again. Okay. So welcome back. I know you've not been anywhere, but we have. Uh, so what's the story? We've got uh, falling debt, uh, but we've still got rising house prices in Denmark. So uh, it's all to do with the, the, the speed of the increase in that debt. Or, yeah, it's, or, it's quite, quite weird when you look at it. I mean, Denmark, there is something rotten in the state of Denmark. So I'll have a bit of fun with that uh, uh, make a, a random post in the next week or two. But the level of household debt in Denmark, if I go back to 2000, and uh, actually I can go, I can go back... Go back further because it's just right from the beginning of the data. Uh, in 1995, the level of household debt in Denmark was 69% of GDP. So one, uh, pretty much 70%. It peaked in 2010 at 140% of GDP. And just like it went up like the Matterhorn, it's coming down the other side and it's now down to 110% of GDP. So there's been a 30% fall in GDP, 30% of GDP Little yeah. fall yeah. in household debt. At the same time, when you look at the rate of change of that debt, the rate of change of the debt peaked rather than the debt itself peaked in 2010. The rate of change of that debt peaked back in 2006 and then uh, went down to negative in 2011. Has normally been positive, but it's been growing more slowly than the level of household debt. Right. So as I said, level of GDP. So when you look at the, even though the debt um, hasn't been rising all that much, it, it's been positive, but it has it, the GDP has risen more, so the ratio has fallen. Right. And then when you look at the acceleration, that has bounced all the way around from as little as minus four percent of GDP in two thousand and level eleven to three three percent of GDP in two thousand and twelve, up and down like a yo-yo. Um, but overall, that the, the rate, of the change in the change of household debt has been generally positive, to fight the fact that the level of household debt's been falling. Right, sort Weird. of makes sense. And so the situation in Australia then, in relation to that, because the the speed of growth is slowing, isn't it, in terms of the the, the level of debt? Yeah, but again, Australia has continued encouraging. Whenever if there's been a, a slowdown mm. in the growth of household credit, the government's dived back into stimulated once more. The whole range of schemes. I mean, my favourite being under Rudd, the what I call the first-time vendors boost. Yeah. Uh, but every every chance of a slowdown has caused a panic, and they've dived back in to stimulate the economy, or either by increasing the amount of money the government gets gives to people to buy homes, uh, by changing the migration rules so you don't have to, you know, you. You, you, I think they've knocked back about five properties in terms of overseas purchases over the last 10, 15 years. So not imposing any of the controls that are supposed to be there. My favourite was during the, the um, Royal Commission of Banking when we saw some absolutely outrageous behaviour by the banks. Uh, and the response to that has been to, first of all, bring in a set of very piss-weak so-called responsible lending rules. And then when that caused a bit of a slowdown in house prices last year, let's abolish the rules and let's encourage irresponsible lending. Mm. Um, so everything possible to keep the bubble but going. But what about the role of immigration there? So if we see that fall, so in, in, interestingly in Denmark, you've got to be a Danish resident or, or have lived there for more than five years before you can buy a house. That's that's not the case in many parts of the world. And but Indeed. There would, there would be lots of people, uh, you know, who don't want to buy into Australia. Or do you think they still will? You know, Australia, I, I guess actually, now think about it you know it came through COVID-19 better than anywhere else and the sun shines 
Why not live in Australia? Or I, why think not? That's a major, I think mm. it's going to be a major factor. My main thing on the household, it, it, I think that Canada's going to lose and Australia's going to win on this one. One bubble's going to go down, the other bubble's going to go up because uh, there was an equal, fairly substantial amount of buying by Chinese nationals on the uh, the, the, the west coast of America uh, or the east coast of Australia because on the west coast you're talking pretty much, you know, it's pretty short flight from Beijing to, is it Vancouver? I don't know, most of you Canadian, pardon yeah. me, Canadian friends, if I get that wrong. Yeah, okay. it's on the west coast uh, of Canada, if that's what you're okay. thinking. Yeah, Indeed, and that's when a big bubble there driven by foreign buying. And then, or you can fly from Beijing to Sydney, it's a longer flight, but you stay pretty much in the same time zone. Mm. So when you wake up, you're not suffering from jet lag all that much, maybe a lousy a lousy sleep and a bad meal, but you're not, you're not suffering jet lag. Uh, now, of course, with COVID-19, 19 hitting, Canada's done not as badly as America, but still pretty badly, certainly compared to Australia. Nobody is going to be sending their kids to Canada until well after the vaccines are both effective and universally um, uh, available. Uh, and Australia, send them next year. But so how, long, how long does it go on for, though? Because, I mean, that might be the argument for this year and next year, perhaps, uh, or next year and the year after. But but how long has it gone for? Because people are buying houses in Australia uh, very often with the idea that they will downsize when they get old and they will sell it to somebody else and that'll give them some money to live off in their in their old age. I mean, that is, that is the mentality for, for a lot of Australians. For, for that to happen, when you're getting ready to sell your house and downsize, somebody there's got to be people there to buy that house. And, and if you've got, you've got yeah. an aging population and slowing immigration at some point, uh, then you're not going to have that ready market. Your, your plan is going to be foiled. And that's why you know, I'm expecting not a, not, a, not a crash, but stagnation at some point. Mm. I think what's really going to bring the whole thing unstuck is is the fact that, you know, is, I think it's David Llewellyn uh, Jones who uh, has the hand, handle on the web of houses and holes. And I think that's a perfect description of Australia. It's, it's focused on building houses and digging holes. And we're one supporting the other. Now, if you start seeing a collapse in coal exports, uh, and that undermine, and having no real phys- uh, manufacturing sector worth speaking of, uh, you, you speak it in the same, in the same sense that you might speak of the manufacturing sector of Senegal rather than the manufacturing sector of a, you know, a decent industrialized country. Uh, then at that point, uh, you, you won't have the GDP growth to support the house prices, and they've got even more out of whack, and if the government will continue supporting them. Um, but, you know, what you should be doing is building an economy which is, can have some chance of surviving what's going to happen with climate change, and that's the last thing the Australian government is doing. So we've uh, had, number one, the recession in Europe and America, uh, brought on by governments trying to cut back on, on spending and trying to uh, recoup their debts. We've got the housel, housing bubble continuing in, 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 in Australia, but perhaps less so in Canada. And uh, number three, no shit Sherlock on this one, strong, <laughs> strong growth in China. Well, we're already seeing that this year. 2.3% GDP growth this year compared to a, a global decline of 3.5% and, and a 7.2% fall in. That's what's predicted for Europe, possibly uh-huh. even higher than that but china is growing and, and uh, next year even more so and actually one thing i'm, I'm, I'm um, i've got to, i've got to throw one comment here is stefano i hope stefanos is listening stefanos fatias my good friend in bangkok uh is one of the patrons he got rather angry at me for saying that z i think i said it back in march that z will use china's success in suppressing the virus as a way of uh, praising authoritarian states and and uh 
and and criticizing comparatively libertarian states and saying that the, the, the you might you might not like the level of power, but an authoritarian state is better. Uh, then and and COVID uh, certainly can be spun that way. And the fact that China, like the, they were coming to the very, you know, talking about the very end of 2020, having started the crisis in the beginning, we're looking at America with what 16 million, 18 million cases and 300,000 deaths. Mm. And China's total number of cases is about, I think it's 90,000, maybe 100,000 cases. So it's it's absurd how um, how successful China has been in suppressing it. And that will be great for. Um, the ideology of a, of a centralised and powerful state. But how do you have strong growth if there's less demand from the rest of the world? That's the uh, that that could be the fly in the ointment, couldn't it? It could, but again, now what China's starting to do is stimulate its domestic demand. Yeah. They realise that you've got uh, you know the potentially less export demand, so their argument has been to uh, boost domestic consumption and to encourage people to travel and. You know, and buy, buy, buy Chinese. And apparently now, I was actually on a, a show with China Global Television Network a, a few days ago. And one of the other guests, I think, quoted the statistic that uh, exports are down to about, I think, about 15% of the economy, far lower than they used to be. So even though, yes, exports are going to decline because of what's happened in the rest of the world, China has been already shifting across to more focus upon domestic consumption. And, uh, and COVID will just accelerate that. So I wonder whether we're also going to see uh, more people investing in China as a result of this. So, you know, it, it is easier now to invest in the uh, in, in the share markets there and whether we're going to see more people doing that. And what's that going to do to the wine? Are we going to see uh, that rise because there's more demand as people want to buy more shares? And that's going to make their exports a little bit more expensive, but it's going to make it cheaper for them to import stuff. You mean with the rising renminbi? Yeah, Mm, well, I think that's that, that. That if you're going to talk any sort of global power shift going on, and certainly what we're seeing is diminishing power of the American dollar and rising power of China. So that that makes sense to me that that will happen because the Chinese economy has pretty much you know it, it, it grown by parasiting off the American through. American corporations in willingly shutting down their production systems in America to take advantage of cheap Chinese wages. And they were outgamed and outgunned by the Chinese who've now got the technology they wanted. The change in China, uh, I was first there in pretty much 40 years ago, 81, 82, and, and saw what it was like when people were still wearing Mao suits around Tiananmen Square. And the, the, the change in the place now is, 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 is mind blowing. And, so they've succeeded in that transition. They've got a far stronger industrial base than America possibly ever had. Maybe back in the 50s and 60s, America was as strong, but China is at least that strong now. And they've made a, a better a better fist of the, even though they've had you know, enormous growth in coal consumption and coal power stations everywhere. They've also been putting far more energy, literally, uh, and, and power into um, laying out solar uh, solar systems all over the country, including you know floating solar so, uh, solar farms on lakes and 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 so on, trying to use any available space for it. Um, they're they're making the transition, and they're it's more they, even though they're not sustainable overall, courtesy the dependence upon coal. Um, they're more I think they're more likely to, to be hitting the rate of progress towards sustainable energy that's needed to be able to cope with climate change when it starts hitting big time. Right. And we'll, we'll come on to climate change. But let's let's 
Let's talk a little bit more about the currencies, though, because the US dollar, which had been steadily climbing in value since 2018, this year is very much on the slide. Since March, it, it peaked in March because, of course, it's a safe haven currency. So when things are getting a bit risky, everyone dives for the US dollar. But that's not happening now. In fact, uh, it's fallen 12% since March. Wow. Mu- okay. Much much lower than it was. on the. This is on the DXY index. Uh, yeah. So a basket of currencies against the US dollar. It's now much lower than it was before the, the before the pandemic. So what is what is is it because people are just bailing out of bonds because there's no yields and so they've gone to money's going elsewhere so what what's causing that collapse in the US dollar and is it is it going to continue do you think well I think it is going to continue because and this is actually Yanis Varoufakis makes this case very well in the global minotaur and uh, and he's focusing upon the power that comes from being the reserve currency but also how that weakens your manufacturing base and uh, and, and it requires you to be running uh, a trade deficit to be able to create the, the money. The, the people have a demand for American dollars to buy, you know, goods from um, uh, Botswana, let alone from America, because it's international currency. That overvalues your currency, and therefore that causes your manufacturing sector to lose competitiveness over time. And this was the curse that hit Britain as well. It was also called the Dutch disease. Australia had an element of it for a while with high mineral prices. But when, when you were the reserve currency, it's over and above any of those, you know, sectoral causes. And the result is you hollow out your manufacturing sector. And right. America has done that. And, 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 and China's going the opposite way. So, uh, but why is it happening? Would, so, why is it happening so quickly in the United States? Why this, why over this last year have we seen such a, right, such a uh, big fall? I think I can call the COVID one on that one, don't you think? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, but why, why though? What's, what's happening there? Well, I, I, I'm only guessing because I don't uh, speculate in, in foreign currencies. Mm. But you no longer America is not seen as a safe haven given its current political state. Yeah, and a state with COVID. You're looking mm. at uh, you're looking at the state which you might think this is not a this is not a safe haven. This is a failed state. And in that transition, then all the all the you know the usual story when there's a a, a, a global a crisis in and the, in the rest of the globe, you move back to America for strength. Now you're looking and saying, that might be a place to move for weakness. Where else can we put our money? Now, next one is a rapid fall in coal mining. That's your next prediction. So Australia shouldn't be too concerned about the fact that China doesn't want to buy coal from uh, from Australia anymore because probably the coal mining industry well, is dead. Well, I think we're going to see coal as, a, as the first major stranded asset because at least with oil, I mean, there's mm. an obvious reason why you've got to have oil. Um, you, know, you, 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 car, you can't run your cars on coal. And while we still have a, a substantial uh, internal combustion engine, the ice, ice engine, is the ice is the expression that people use these days, um, then you still need oil. But in coal, if you can rapidly uh, lay out solar plants, whether or not they're going to be sustainable in the long term, as I know a lot of my uh, supporters are, are fans of nuclear power, and they say you can't get enough density out of, out of uh, electric, but whether that applies or not over the long term in the immediate term it's quite possible to put down an enormous amount of of solar receptors particularly in the country where you don't need to worry about people's protests about where it's being done and declining coal demand the same thing in india india's got appalling air air levels air quality levels that's the pressure to go away from coal so all these things mean there's likely to be a, a rapid transition away from coal Mm. And countries which rely upon coal for their exports are going to get hank and hello Australia. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've still got iron ore, of course, but you need uh, you need you need coal. I'm not an expert on this, but you need coal in iron ore production, don't you, to make steel? Isn't it? Though, uh, there's, there are now new systems coming up for hydrogen being used instead. I don't right. know the technology, but I've seen it being discussed. So it's possible to have in, injections of hydrogen, apparently which reach the same results as, as putting carbon in. You need, you know, there's all sorts of you know, tricks in, I mean, I've actually got a, a, a relative who's involved in managing a steel plant in Australia, so I should ask Aidan what the technology is, but all sorts of the ways you dope steel fundamentally to change its characteristic. We would have, if people are watching Elon Musk's uh, in, incredible uh, attempts with the, with the um, uh, what do you call that, 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 that flight of his, the... Um, uh, I'm being a space cadet here, forgetting space terms, but the uh, the rocket he's developed, uh, you used to call it the BFR, BFR, the big effing rocket. Um, that's the one that blew up the other day. No, the, no, the one that crash landed, but but nonetheless did a successful belly flop before it did. He's forever changing the alloy of steel. They're inventing new types of steel by new and putting mm. new elements. In, in, you put carbon in to strengthen it and make it harder. You have you know various other elements there. Um, so there'll still be need for, for carbon as inputs for those processes. But to actually make the iron ore itself, apparently, we're now on the verge of a world in which you don't need to have coke to make coal, to, yeah. make, uh, to make iron, to make steel What's- out of iron ore. So didn't one of the SpaceX rockets explode? And he described that as a uh, rapid, unscheduled disassembly. Uh, that was uh, that was when they were failing to land successfully. But the most recent one, and I highly recommend watching it, mate. Uh, is uh, what's the name? Of the, hang, hang on a second, I've got to look it up. I feel embarrassed for not knowing the name. No, of we're not going to go on pause again. Look, there's any, okay, any, sorry about d- that. Okay, d- okay, okay. <laughs> look, just Elon, to, Elon Musk's rocket. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just. Okay. That's probably what it, it says on the side. It, it, so, the EM it, rocket. It, it, it crashed on landing, but it only crashed on landing because there was some loss of pressure in the, 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 the what they called the header tank, which meant they couldn't get enough thrust out of the rocket to slow it down but it was on on target to land on its fins and just land on its fins rather too hard right okay now look uh the uh, the uk is an interesting example for uh, the demand for coal because demand for coal for electricity generators was 166,000 tons in q2 2020 19 percent lower than it was a year before, and in, and interestingly, I just renewed my uh, my electricity. You've got to change your electricity provider every year here because otherwise you get screwed on price. It's mm. one of those things where if you don't do anything, you end up paying twenty percent more. And what I had noticed was previously, like a year ago, you'd pay a little bit more to get a hundred percent guarantee, a hundred percent renewable. Now almost every energy provider is saying we are hundred percent renewable energy. Um, and you Which know, can't be true, of course. <laughs> well, not if all of them are saying it exactly. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. So, but consumption here's interesting. Just to give you an idea of the magnitude, so consumption in 2013 in the UK was three million tons of coal. In 2019, uh, it was 1.9 million, and as I've just said, since then it's gone down 19 percent. A chunk of what is left actually is domestic users, coal fires. Uh, If you make that illegal, then you're almost getting down to zero coal consumption in the UK, which is, you know, hell of a way down from three million tons just seven years ago. And this sort of thing can 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 catch you unawares 
uh, that's this is the the negative of that sense. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, everything you've you've built this enormous infrastructure to mine coal, to process coal, ship coal, and burn coal, and then suddenly. Uh, over over a very short period, nobody's using coal anymore, and you're still stuck with the mines and 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 the, all the production facilities around it. So this is the stranded asset effect. But we're seeing like the, the, that's the negative side of of what you've, I've noticed as well with uh, with Apple chips. Uh, if you've, you've been following the news on Apple recently with the latest. Um, I know that they're starting to produce their own chips now, aren't they? They're making their own chips, and they're using what's called reduced instruction set logic, uh, whereas the Intel has been what they call complex instruction set logic. So Intel will actually have something programmed in there to to work out square roots, for example. the, the 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 risk ships don't have that. They use a series of addition and subtraction and multiplication operations to achieve the same result in the software. Um, and for a long time, risk ships were far, far slower than complex ones. So the apples were slower than PCs by a large margin. And in, in the last two or three years, they've overtaken it completely. And that in a sense means suddenly Intel, which was the dominant uh, monster on the on the block for the last 30 years, uh, is suddenly is losing out to something which began in Cambridge with uh, ARM, the, Australia, right. the British company, which has then been bought by Apple. So the transition can suddenly happen and all of a sudden, bang, the market you had disappears. That's possible for, for Intel, but it's certainly happening with coal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, not a moment too soon, uh, because of course, the, you know, your other prediction is that climate change, we're going to see more of it this year, we're going to see more severe weather. Uh, look, the, the curious thing is, here we are in, uh, in, in late December, we've had temperatures in, in late December, and uh, getting into the teens in the south of England. Yeah, and this is the, 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 the people, I mean, morons like Richard Toll, Hello, Richard. I hope you're listening. Uh, he doesn't pay, of course. So you, unless you put it out for free, Richard Toll won't hear me calling him an idiot. I think we're going to make this one free, just for that reason. <laughs> okay. okay. Idiots like Richard Toll believe that there's no danger to climate change because the massive temperature we're talking about, you know, one or two degrees right now, is less than the diurnal cycle. In other words, because temperature might change, you know, it might be five degrees overnight and 20 degrees during the day in London. That's 15 degrees. That's much bigger than climate change. Therefore, climate change can't matter. The moron actually said that in a tweet. I'm trying to locate it right now, but I'll, 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 I'll just assert it first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what, what so it's actually, only going to be a problem when you get 47 degree nights in Sydney yeah, rather that's, than that's 47 what, yeah, degree yeah. days. Okay. Okay. But mm. what actually, what actually uh, is happening is that incredible volatility you're talking about, a massive increase in temperature of what was the, the norm beforehand. And with climate change, one of the... I, here we, here we go. This is, this, this is toll. Have a listen to this garbage from this moron back in October. People thrive in a wide range of climates. The projected climate change is small relative to the diurnal cycle. It is therefore rather peculiar to conclude that climate change will be disastrous. Those who claim so have been unable to explain why. Well, listen here, you moron. Here's an explanation coming for you. And a simple one of a, of a, of a mechanism which is starting to occur already and could be quite drastic for its impact upon the climate of particularly of Europe and America. And that is that, as we now know, we're losing the Arctic sea ice because of a, about a one degree increase in global temperature. But that's causing changes of up to 15 and 20 degrees in the Arctic. And as the ice disappears from the Arctic, with the ice in the Arctic itself, as it existed before we just, you know, tampered with the climate by, by pumping in carbon dioxide as we've done, that's the coldest region on the 
northern hemisphere of the planet, and therefore your weather systems will centre with a, you know, it's actually high pressure over the ice because that's where the air is falling down under the, 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 the coldness of the air. So you've got a high pressure zone. Air falling over the over the over the uh, poles, and then you get a, a circulation system which is restricted to the polar region by the jet stream, and then you have a there's, there's basically three circulation cells: the uh, what's called the Hadley cell, which is the circulation of air from the equator to a, a, a slightly north of the. Um, equatorial region, so say sort of zero to 30 degrees, that's the Hadley cell. You then have the, uh, the the mid-latitude from 30 to 60, and then you've got the polar from 60 to 90, and they're all pretty much like, you know, circle, circles drawn on a, on, a, on a sphere. When you have the ice of the Arctic melting, then what was an area which reflected heat and therefore is very cold, starts to absorb heat and is therefore very hot. And the amount of energy, this is another thing I'm learning from reading all the climate science work I'm looking at at the moment. Even though, of course, it's much colder in the Arctic than it is around the equator, because during summer there's 24 hours of sunshine on the Arctic, uh, versus less than that around the equator, there's actually more energy dumped into the Arctic than there is into the equatorial regions. Mm-hmm. So there's a dramatic increase in temperature going on up there. And then when the melting occurs, and we're getting, we've now got the lowest extent of, uh, of ice in, hist- in, in recorded history at the moment. The, the ice hasn't reformed uh, after the summer. It's still, there's still summer ice, but it's, it's, it's lowest that's ever been recorded. That is meaning that the big cold mass during summer is no longer the Arctic, it's Greenland. Now, Greenland is 2,000 kilometres from the Arctic Circle. So what you could have happening, and I'm seeing some climate scientists discussing this, is you could have a 2,000-kilometre movement of the cold centre of the, that, that particular part of the atmospheric circulation every year during winter, it focuses around the Arctic because you're still getting ice forming during winter. During summer, it moves to Greenland. And what that means is the, the jet stream gets pushed by that. You get dramatic incursions of cold air down into the southern, uh, south of the, of the uh, North Pole, well south, down, down to, you know, Kansas and sort of level in America or down to Germany or maybe even France uh, in, in Europe. And then it goes back again. And these huge oscillations are going to occur. Now, our, 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 our um, agricultural systems, everything is not tuned to that. We're tuned to a stable climate. So if we start seeing that volatility on a grand scale, we could see major storms in the North Atlantic. We could see, uh, you know, damaging snows uh, during, during winter, floods. Um, I think we're going to see the volatility coming out of that. That'll be, the, I think, the first obvious volatility of a tipping point, which again, to quote one of the other morons involved in uh, neoclassical economics on climate change, William Nordhaus, who read Tim Lenton's paper in 2008 paper, I think it was, on tipping points and concluded that Tim Lenton concluded there were no critical tipping points for Mm. the the next three centuries for less than three degrees Celsius. When Lenton actually said it's half a degree Celsius over the next 10 to 20 years in the Arctic. So and, are we going to yeah. take notice of that this year, though? I mean, we, we might see the, the effect of it. We might see more of these storms, but we'll, you know, we, we will, the problem is these things creep up on you, don't they? And we, we've had storms, you know, for, for all our lives, 
are we getting more of them? Are they getting more severe? There'll be some people who say, no, they're just reported more in the media. Are we actually... So two, one of two things could happen, I think, this year, couldn't it? We if, uh, Next year, I should say. We're still in 2020. Just uh, there's, there's, a, there's a chance that, you know, as COVID finishes, you know, if, if we can put paid to that in the second half of uh, 2021 are we going to say okay that's good that was a lesson now let's get on to the other bigger crisis which is climate change or are we going to be in a situation where we go well thank god that's over back to life as normal and uh, we push climate change further down the agenda again i think the latter probably the i mean you have differences in how much different governments take this thing seriously some governments will make a concerted decision to move towards addressing climate change but we've still got the overall belief you can achieve economic growth indefinitely and i think because we've been fooled by mainstream economists and 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 climate change denying companies as well who've used the research of economists to justify their positions we've gone well past the point of sustainability and we're going to be forced backwards no, and I think even though we've just mm, seen that uh, you know the economic system can't survive on its own without intervention when there's a crisis yeah well it's a lesson which is rapidly forgotten by mainstream thinkers uh, when the crisis passes. Mm. Well, there's an optimistic note of which to uh, how symbolic that we end uh, end the year on a on, on a downbeat note because that's how we almost always end our podcast, Steve. I always <laughs> I, I never feel good after them. Uh, oh, I've got, got to go and have a very strong cup of coffee now. Uh, good to, good to talk to you all through 2020. It's been an interesting year, hasn't it? Let's let's oh, hope 20, 2021 has got to be better. Whatever's thrown at us, it's got to be better than this year. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to talk it up, and you're talking down again. Go no, on then. Sorry. Goodbye. No. See you next year. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Can you imagine what it'd be like if I wasn't here to try and at least engender some spirit of enthusiasm in these podcasts? Look, we're going to carry on doing it. Uh, it's been a good year. We've enjoyed it. We'll be back again uh, in the first week of 2021. See you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.